Her and EU, a European podcast on gender equality. Brought to you by the Martin Center with Loredana Teodorescu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new episode of Her and You, a podcast on gender equality and women's role in the society. I am Loredana Teodorescu, research associate at the Martin Center for European Studies. Our special guest of today is Francis Fitzgerald, vice chair of the EPP Group and EPP Group coordinator on the Women's Rights and Gender Equality Committee in the European Parliament. So, Ms. Fitzgerald, thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. So you are now in Strasbourg, uh, where we just witnessed a great day, the election of Roberta Metzola as the new president of the European Parliament. So let me start with that. After many years, uh, Roberta is the third female president of the European Parliament, is also the youngest one. And now in the European Union, we have three of the main institutions led by a woman. Are we finally entering a new era of equality? What is the meaning of this election in your view and how is this going to make the difference? Well, it's always great to see a woman take a senior office. But of course, the very fact that it's been so long, over 20 years since we had another female president, shows you the problem. We as yet don't have a critical mass of women at senior leadership positions. And not alone in Europe, but across the world. When I attend UN meetings, for example, in New York, leaders meetings in Africa, what I see are the vast majority are men. And we don't have a critical mass. And I would consider a critical mass to be, you know, 40, 50 percent of either gender. So it's unfinished business as far as I'm concerned, women in senior positions. Having said that, it's a fantastic achievement for Roberta. Um, a young woman from Malta um, being elevated to president of the parliament. And yes, it does make a difference to have a woman's voice there, a woman's presence, a woman's experience in that senior decision-making role is important for all of us, symbolically really important and practically for young women across Europe to see Roberta uh, up there chairing. I was very proud to see her doing that. Is it a new era of equality? Not necessarily. Equality is unfinished business in so many areas, which I can talk to you about. And in some countries, indeed, worryingly, we're seeing regression. I mean, we all know overall uh, that women's situation has improved in many ways uh, in terms of education, uh, access to better work, better employment, um, better training, uh, entering the professions. We're seeing that. But then you have to look at all of the issues and you see new, very worrying trends emerging of regression in women's rights, on pornography and abuse of women, of uh, hate speech on the Internet. And of course, uh, many other arenas, very uh, a huge amount of unfinished uh, business as regards equality, violence against women. So serious. As you highlighted very well, this is an unfinished business. So we are looking at Roberta Mezzola, uh, von der Leyen, Christine Lagarde. Of course, they are the tip of the iceberg, but data show us that women are still a part of a minority when it comes to leadership. So what are the main obstacles to women leadership in your uh, opinion? And how is this affecting in the end all of us? Well, you know, you have to look at this very broadly. Our societies really are coming from an era and a period where there's a lot of everyday sexism, I would call it. A lot of assumptions about women's role, uh, 
a, a lot of limiting uh, approaches uh, to women, even though we all at another level think, you know, things have really changed. We're all able to get out there and speak and not in every country, of course. But at the same time, when you actually go into the data, you begin to see that there are quite a lot, not just of limiting assumptions, but practical issues that, you know, really hold us back. What are they? Well, men have occupied the main positions. You know, they often say you have to be an exceptional woman, but being a mediocre man will get you places. And I think to quite a degree, that's still true. It sounds a little bit demeaning of men. I don't mean it to be, but actually there is a truth in that as well. Um, now, in Ireland, we describe the some of the things that hold back women in politics, for example. So culture, childcare, cash, conventions, candidate selection. It's often stacked against women. So you really do have to fight. And I've had 30 years in politics and working on equality. I've been a minister for seven years. I know what it's like. There are great opportunities out there. You need a lot of support. You need mentoring. You need to be very clear about your ambitions. And also you need a bit of luck on your side. So I, I spoke about everyday sexism, culture, you know, our cultures, actually, um, we've got a way to go in all our cultures in relation to women. And we need more men taking on uh, on their shoulders the challenges of equality. I'm tired of women talking to women. Uh, uh, we all share the view of what needs to be done. Um, I will always talk to women, of course, and it's terribly important. But let me make the point that I want to hear more, more male leaders getting out. So when we go down to the parliament and talk about gender equality or violence against women. I can't believe I still see 18 out of the 20 speakers are female and there's two men. I want to see the party leaders down there discussing these equality issues, taking them as seriously as they do other issues. And I still think that equality is sometimes seen as an add on, a kind of an extra that's kind of, you know, a bit superfluous and uh, as something it should be central, for example, in our funding, the RRF. We had to fight to get gender as a criteria for allocation of funding. How extraordinary when you have 50% of the population female. So it's still quite difficult to get gender mainstreamed across all of the committees of parliament that are dealing with all of the issues, economic, transport, climate, foreign affairs. So, you know, there's this because we haven't been there. It's kind of simple in a way. We haven't been there. So to get in there, it's quite an effort now. Yeah, and then going to your maybe personal experience, I mean, you held leading positions in your country as a Deputy Prime Minister of Ireland and then Minister several times before arriving at European Parliament, where you are now the Vice Chair of the EPP Group. So looking back, uh, what have been the ingredients of your success and how being a woman has affected, is this is the case, your career? Well, it's a it's a very big question, I guess. I never intended to be a politician. I didn't come from a, a political family. My father was in the Irish army. My mother worked full time in the home. I had a good education. I became a social worker. I studied social science. I did a basic degree in social science. I went to London to live and to work. I did a master's in the London School of Economics, got more and more interested in equality issues, in feminism. Um, I wasn't in a political party as a young woman. So, you know, I came later. I was 42 when I got elected to the parliament for the first time. And it was really when my son, my first son, I have three boys. My first son was born in London and I really felt it was important for a woman to have a voice 
in relation to maternity care. And that's turned out now to be quite a big issue about women's choices, women's supports in maternity care and so on in obstetric care. So I got interested in equality. I read a lot. I was very influenced by the early feminists. Um, Betty Friedan, for example, the sort of illness that has no name, which was the most brilliant book that she wrote called The Second Stage. And then I went back to Ireland and I got involved in equality issues. And then I was doing a lot of television and I got asked to run for party politics. And then I had been chair of the National Women's um, Committee of Ireland, National um, Council uh, for Women in Ireland. And then I went into politics and I've had an up and down career. It's not plain sailing, let me tell you. Um, you need to be consistent. And you asked me what, what helped me. I think what helped me was my kind of basic values. You know, the, the values that, that, you know, brought me into politics of community, of equality, of respect for diversity. And in a way, my political party, I think I was a little ahead of them on some of these issues. And they sort of you know, they became more mainstream. And then I was leading on quite a number of those issues over the years and had the great privilege in my party then in, in Fine Gael as part of the EPP group uh, to become a minister. And as Minister for Justice, I, I did the LGBTQI, I did the equal marriage referendum, and I did a referendum as Minister for Children on putting children's voices into the constitution. So, you know, hard work, you work very, very hard as support, uh, from family and friends and mentoring uh, from senior members in the party, from some senior men. All of that goes together. But it's a tough world. I, I would never say to anyone that politics is easy. I, I think it's very tough and it's very exposing. And I've certainly had very tough experiences in politics. And I did go through a period of saying, you know, would I really encourage women to go into this world of politics and young girls? Would I really say to them, but what I would say now, and I, I, I considered it for a while, and then I said, no, I would encourage it because we have to change things and we need women's voices in there. We need women's experience in there. So, you know, it's, it's a complicated picture. You need a bit of luck on your side. Um, you need to support the right leaders. If you don't support the right leaders, your career is dead. That's a very important lesson. <laughs> You are really engaged uh, in women's issue and gender equality. Um, so I'm wondering, I know that this is a difficult question, but what legacy do you want to leave behind, uh, at least at the end of this legislation? Well, I think as far as the European Parliament is concerned, and you don't do these things on your own, you know, I have a very good team working with me. Um, I want to make an impact on the care issue. And Ursula von der Leyen has said that she is bringing forward a strategy on care. We've seen during COVID-19 how critical this is. We really have to do something to rebalance the care issue, to help women and men combine work and family life and to put more resources into care. Because care you know, is, is very important value how we do it, but also can be very restricting. Uh, because of the demands that it places, particularly on women, and particularly during COVID and post-COVID. So I would like to make a difference in that area and make sure we've more initiatives across all of our member states to support our carers and the caring economy. And secondly, I would like to have made a difference on two other areas. One is women and decision-making, because we now are going to have a directive on that. But the third very important one is in relation to a directive on violence against women. Uh, just this week, a young Irish woman went out to jog along a canal bank and she was murdered. She was 23. 
She was a teacher. She was in a popular area for joggers, uh, a random act. And yet every 10 years, a city the size of Amsterdam, Zagreb, is, or Zagreb, is, disappears because 84,000 women per year are murdered, uh, femicide. So this is one of the most unbelievably serious issues. And I'd like to see Europe as a leader in making sure that violence against women is eradicated. It's a terrible stain in our society, the amount of violence against women. It's, it's hard to believe in a sophisticated Europe that we still have these levels of violence. I know also that some days ago you had a meeting with uh, President von der Leyen and other MEPs to discuss um, a possible initiative to enhance the participation of women in boards. Ten years ago, actually, the European Commission put forward uh, for the first time uh, a proposal, uh, but then nothing happened uh, since then. Uh, so how are you going to work uh, together for more gender-balanced company boards? Well, let me say, I think President Ursula von der Leyen is a, is a great leader. Um, she brought us together to discuss a new impetus that she wants to create in relation to women on boards. And this is because uh, both the German government and the French government and the French presidency of the EU are highlighting this initiative of women on boards. And effectively, it's to create targets for the percentage of women uh, on boards. Uh, because you have to look at every area, you know, you have to look at government and critical mass, but you've got to look at businesses as well. So this is to ensure um, uh, that uh, more women are selected uh, by companies. Now, let me say to you, the best companies are doing this already. Uh, this is to set a target of 40% of either gender on boards. And I think it's really important that we do this because uh, it's symbolically, again, uh, and practically very important for consumers of Europe, the consumers and the citizens right across Europe. You want to make sure that the decisions that are being taken are in the interests of both women and men. And I think very often, if you have a board of all men uh, making the decisions, you get less good results. And Christine Lagarde has pointed out very clearly when she was working with the IMF, the huge economic advantages of having women's voices heard and of having women on boards and how productivity goes up and results for the companies go up. Hard to believe it, but actually being diverse is really good uh, for company business and indeed for countries' economies. So I think this is a new message in a way that we need to get out. We often talk about the individual rights, the human rights aspects of uh, freedoms for women. Of course, that's really critical, it's basic, but also the economic advantages for boards, uh, for companies, and for countries of using all of the talents of our people. And of course, it isn't just about gender. It's also, it's about race. It's about being inclusive. It's about disability. The amount of talent of those people who have a disability that we are losing uh, because of old-fashioned attitudes and prejudices, incredible. Equal and inclusive societies are better societies for all of us. And uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that, of course, we need also to engage more men, to have men on board. How are you trying to do it? Well, you know, I think we have to ask them. I think we haven't asked men enough to do it if they're not able to see it themselves. And many women, we do work a lot with other women. And I think we really have to reach out more to men and sort of tell them what we need to see them doing, quite honestly. That sounds a little bit condescending, and I don't mean it to be, but genuinely. And I, I think sometimes men are at a loss as to what they can do, but they can interrupt the sexism. 
you know, they can interrupt the banter. They can interrupt the sexist looks, behavior, stares, and then they can be involved in these issues and look to their own leadership and say, what can I do? I can speak out more about this, use their power and their influence, those men who have it. And then, of course, when it comes, I have three sons myself, when it comes to our education of uh, the next generation, I think we need very good sex education. We need to be looking at issues like consent, not just in schools, but in our universities, actually. We, we have to be open about these issues because, unfortunately, I think there's an awful lot we can do. Um, but we have to open our eyes to what's happening and not see it as an add-on, not see it as something that some women talk about or some men talk about. See it as something that's central to the good of our societies and the kind of communities we want to create in the future. Before concluding, I would like to go back to your um, personal experience. Uh, I think that today we can say that you are inspiring many girls and women, and you certainly have a powerful voice when it comes to politics and gender equality. So was there anybody who inspired you throughout your life? Oh, that's interesting. Um... I think a lot of the women who led the way in Irish politics, and this is the, important of, the importance of, for example, Roberta, the role models, the women who went before me in Irish politics. You know, I remember one of them, a woman called Monica Barnes, who stood up in the parliament one day and she said, a word for the women of Ireland when a particular issue arose uh, about a young woman. And uh, it was very powerful intervention. And I remember it was spine chilling at the time. And I remember some of those uh, early women leaders. And I was always inspired by some of the um, American um, women who were in American politics who came to Ireland and spoke to us, and indeed some of the German female politicians. And I've just read the biography of Angela Merkel, and I have to say it's very inspiring. I've only read it, obviously, recently, but she was very inspiring uh, as well as a woman amongst men, really, one of the few women at top leadership position. But, you know, I was very inspired as well um, by, you know, John Hume, who was involved in the peace talks in Northern Ireland, and, uh, you know, Garrett Fitzgerald, who's a former Taoiseach in uh, in my country who had very strong values. And, and that, that was why I joined Fine Gael. He was pro-Europe, he was pro-inclusiveness in relation to the North. And I think some of the international women that we've seen over the years, I continue to have great admiration for Hillary Clinton. My goodness, she's been through it, she really has. And she still gets up there and speaks and influences and, and, and fights the good fight. So I, I think we all influence one another. And, um, you know, this is the importance of role models. And this is why it's important that the media uh, pays attention uh, to having voices of women and men, because it's the great, of course, influencer in our society. So we need to see uh, strong women, strong men on all of the important programs. Definitely. We need, we need role models and we need to believe in a different way of doing politics and maybe leadership as well. So, Ms. Fitzgerald, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for being so open for this interesting conversation. And thanks to the Martin Center for making this podcast possible. And thank you all for listening. We will be back with soon with a new episode and stay tuned. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. That was today's episode of Her and EU. Subscribe to our podcast for more.